0: quiet. And now the Word of God will be spoken, right? As we read His Word, He speaks, doesn't He? And I want to tell you, I am amazed as I have been going through, and we all have been going through, Romans chapter 9. And uh, what a chapter it is, it can be reduced to the sovereignty of God, which really that's not reducing, that's expanding it to the heights, isn't it? The very sovereignty of God the uh, The aspect that I'm speaking of is how each verse is connected to the next verse. Uh, when Paul wrote this, he didn't write it in numbers like verse nine, verse ten. But it's like a coherent chapter. It's a very coherent in how it begins. And builds up. Makes a statement. Comes back with biblical statements. Right out of the Old Testament. That Jews would understand. He gives people. uh, Names that they would have known. Whether it be Abraham. Isaac. Jacob. Moses. He uses those. That's what we have seen so far. In chapter 9. To back up the aspect that. God is faithful to His promises that we see in verse 6 where people would be asking, but it is not as though the Word of God has failed. They would be saying that God made promises. God and His Word said this, and are you saying that God has done with Israel? What's the plan here? What's the deal, Paul. And so he says, well, certainly not. And then he uses, of course, Abraham was a chosen one. He uses Isaac as one who was chosen and not Ishmael. He uses Jacob, who's an Israelite, and he does not choose Esau, as he gave the example of the twins. And... So he finished up that verse 13, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. And he will get back into that where our text is at today, especially starting at verse 24 and then on through. And you'd still be asking, well, is this fair? Uh, Is God really a just God? And of course, what he has already made a statement with You know, he never meant to choose every Israelite to be saved. They thought that if you were born a Jew, you were a Jew for eternity in the sense that you were going to be saved in an heaven for eternity. And he never said that. And that's what he makes out, though. Here's what he did say, and he used some examples. And then in 14 through about 23... Uh, There's a little bit of what seems like an interlude, but it's really not. And remember, I just mentioned a while ago that every verse is attached to the next one, the next thought. And we'll be getting into a slightly different thought, but it's still related to everything that we have already seen. So is God fair? Is He just? And He says, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy. And who did He use as an example for that? Moses, and I will have compassion on Moses, or anybody that I choose to do. I can do that on the sovereign God. God is God, right? He can do that. Uh, But he also said that he hardens whom he so desires also, and that he did to Pharaoh. He didn't choose to give mercy to Pharaoh, but he did Moses. And uh, then someone would say, well, what is he doing, then how can he find fault with anybody since they're going to do what God has in mind to do? And then he corrects corrects him on that, and uh, of course he immediately says, Paul says, oh man, who are you to answer back to God? God is God. God is the potter. People are the clay. The clay doesn't speak back to the potter. And he uses that great example. on the last time we were in Romans, a couple of weeks ago, Daniel did last week, which uh, we really uh, thank the Lord for that message. It was really, really good. That came out of um, um, First came, was it uh, First Samuel 28, I believe. Yeah, and we see that that uh, kind of ties in really with kind of where we're dealing at today. And uh, Saul was not one that God had chosen, the people actually wanted a king, and that was the kind of man that they would want, somebody of high stature, somebody who looked good outwardly. That wasn't exactly what God had in mind, and uh, so of course his king that he has then next is going to be David. That's how God works. Man always chooses the man way and not the God way. And so that brought us through the section that was very, very difficult for many people today. It would be where God demonstrates His wrath so that His glory can be seen. And we talked about the attributes of God. All of them are linked together. You cannot separate God by different attributes. If He would not have shown His wrath, His justice, His righteousness, uh, we would never know that aspect of God, even all through eternity, had He not done this. He demonstrated His wrath and His power and he endured with patience. That's the kind of God he is. He has patience toward man. He meant patience toward Israel. But they were vessels of wrath suited for destruction because of how they rebelled against God. They didn't want Him. At the same time, it's a way that God shows His great glory in those attributes. And then... He shows his attribute of mercy, and also grace, love, kindness, goodness, all of those go, and as he says in verse 22, he endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction, and 23, he did so to make known the riches of his glory among vessels of mercy. He wants the vessels of mercy. And that's how I was going to introduce all of you guys today. Good morning, vessels of mercy. (laughs) You're a vessel of mercy. I've also heard trophies of grace. Because we demonstrate the grace of God that was put on us. We show His grace that was given to us. Because we didn't deserve any of this. Nobody did. And He took some people... And put it all on display. And he shows it today to the world, to the whole universe. And what a thing it is. But we have something more that we will see to make known the riches of his glory upon vessels of mercy, which he prepared beforehand, long before creation, for glory. His glory. That's how he shows his glory. Some vessels are for dishonorable use. Some vessels are for honorable use. And that's what he has just said, and he can do that because he is God. And then you wonder, you still wonder humanly about all those questions that come up. That's okay, but go back to the scripture. Here's what it says Who are we to talk back to God? We can't question him, can we? We should not question anything. We are to believe him. We live by faith. And so we have now come up to verse 24 and with that past history of looking at Isaac and looking at Jacob uh, or Esau on the other hand, looking at Moses or the Pharaoh, we know that now we have come up to verse 24 and this is where we left off and I kind of intended that because I think it bleeds right into the next section. Many will cut this off at 23 or, or at 24 and say, boom, that goes with the rest, one, rest of the text that we've been looking at. Well, it does. But also it goes right on in to 25. It's like a bridge. And because he says, even us, whom he also called, who are the vessels of mercy? They're the ones who are called not from among Jews only, and that's who he's been talking about all along, but also from among Gentiles. And so then that prepares us for 25. But we will start in verse 24 today. And we now have arrived at seeing, ultimately, the sovereign election of God even in individuals in the different nations, whether it be Israel or the rest of the world. And then he comes back to the Jew and he will use the prophets to prove it. He will use the Word of God. He will use two verses from Hosea and two verses from Isaiah. And they know full well of what this was all about because they saw it coming. And if you've been uh, kind of staying along with our uh, Second Kings study... This is where we've been at. And we have Isaiah. We, we've had Hosea. Uh, two good kings and bad kings. And Now, this is what Paul is commenting on. What about the Jews then? And God comes right back. And he's going to show how just and how faithful he is. And as it builds up. So, that's what we have for us today. Let's pray. I need some help. Father great, holy, awesome God, God of majesty that you are, we are hungry, we are thirsty, we're starving for you, Lord, we are starving for your word. We so much need your word every day. We must be fed. And this is a feast. And... May we be able to feast on this today as You feed us. As Your Holy Spirit gives us understanding of a truth that most people never have really gotten. But as You go through the Word, we understand. We understand Your plan for these people of Israel, the people of the Gentiles. And... We have a piece of evidence right here today. All of us that are standing or sitting here. And you brought us from pagan lands. Foreign, alien lands. People not of the promise. And brought us to your truth of salvation. And that took a work by you. And we also depend on your Spirit now to speak to us what all this means in a very tough passage. In Jesus' name, Amen. Oh, what a glory, what a glory this is. We're going to go from one level of glory to another as we proceed in God's Word here today. He will take us to new heights Our verse starts in verse 24, even us whom he also called, not from among Jews only, but also from among Gentiles, as he says also in Hosea, I will call those who were not my people, my people, and her who was not beloved, beloved. And it shall be that in the place where it was said to them, You are not my people, There they shall be called sons of the living God. Isaiah cries out concerning Israel, Though the number of the sons of Israel be like the sands of the sea, it is the remnant that will be saved. For the Lord will execute His word on the earth thoroughly and quickly. And just as Isaiah foretold, Unless the Lord of Sabaoth had left to us a posterity, we would have become like Sodom and would have resembled Gomorrah. You can be seated. Whew! What text. uh, And we see that there is a connection. That is just where we came from. As we move into 24, even us, whom He called He's been talking about calling, and the the really, the really focus has really been on the Jews, the Israelites. Paul is answering that, because they're saying, well, what about the Jews then? What about them? And Paul then goes on to explain, and, and of course, we just kind of did an introduction of that. So here we go with this verse. God is not failing His promises, is He? Not at all. And so 14 through 23 gives us God's justice in dealing with the nation of Israel and actually all people. He demonstrates the glory of his attributes that we've seen in 22 and 23 and he comes now back to the called. Romans 8, we talked about the ones who were called. The ones who are called will be justified. The justified will be glorified. The called, who are the called, right? Well, it's the ones who that are the vessels of uh, not the wrath, but the vessels that will see the riches of His glory. We are vessels of mercy. Those are the called, the vessels of mercy. He prepares us for to see His glory. All of His attributes. You know glory, you know what it is. It's the sum of all of His attributes. Love, grace, mercy, goodness, His faithfulness, His justice, His hatred for evil, wrath, Judgment that has to be put on us. All of that, many of those are just beginning of the attributes of God, His very character, His very nature. That's what it's about and He puts them on display. We're able to understand that even now. In eternity future, we will understand it even better. But he gives us so much to look at here to realize that. So Paul returns to his point that he began at, and going all the way to nine one. I'm telling the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience testifies with me in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing grief in my heart. And he says, I wish myself were accursed, separated for Christ, for the sake of my physical brethren, my kinsmen. And then he says, and then they would say, Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, you really care for them, but you're saying here that God has abandoned them. Well, uh, he's going to have to use a lot of arguments for the Jew to believe that. That's what he's doing. He's been building up all along, just like a lawyer would, and he's going to appeal to the prophets today. He's been appealing to the law. He appeals to the prophets. When you have the law and you have the prophets, what do you have? The Old Testament, which is the Word of God. And so that's exactly what Paul does. He has new revelation, and then he takes revelation that God gave in the Old Testament, and he sheds light on that, and it's like it comes alive like it never had before. So, with what is explained throughout chapter nine, Paul is showing the justification of God. He never has been unfaithful. God is faithful. Israel was unfaithful. Look at Joshua judges. First Samuel, second Samuel, first kings, second kings, look at all the prophets. And you will see an unfaithful nation that was blessed in huge ways. And God was so patient. Finally gets to the point where He judges Israel and He judges then the southern tribes, Judah and Benjamin. God's purposes have not failed. Just because every Jew was not saved doesn't mean that He broke His promises, does it? It's because... His election stands because of that. In Romans 9, he stated this in verse 11. For though the twins were not yet born and had not done anything good or bad, so that God's purpose according to His choice would stand. He did it because of election to show that He has the free will to do that. If he doesn't have election, you know what he has? He has everybody that he has abandoned and they all go to hell. Not one is saved. He has to choose people to be saved. He never picked all of them. Obviously, we know that. Paul now goes further in telling the purpose of God in verse 24. Not only are some called from the Jews, now... He introduces us to the Gentiles, first time mentioned in chapter 9. That's not to say that he's not mentioned them already in Romans, he has. But now in 9, speaking of the sovereignty of God, now he switches it from the Jews, from the Jews to the Gentiles also. And we will see that, how he uh, comes about that in the next few verses using... Hosea first. Uh, Paul broadens his scope to say, not only did I choose some out of Israel, God also chose some out of the Gentiles. To just to kind of get some brains getting to think, you know, for the Jew people. And they're going, oh, wait a minute, boy, that really makes them mad now. If you start introducing that, Jesus did that kind of thing at Nazareth. And uh, He said that uh, back in the Old Testament days, there was uh, like a widow that uh, the prophet had gone to. And uh, God blessed her. She was a Gentile. And uh, boy, when He mentioned that, He's talking about sovereign election. What did they do? They took Him out there, and they were going to stone Him to kill Him. And He just kind of vanished in the midst so uh, we will get in chapter 10, as we progress, as time goes on here, Paul will show why Israel stumbled over Christ by showing how the Gentiles are included in God's plan. He just gives you a little taste right here, and it's quite intriguing. He will move on as we will look at it next week. What shall we say then? Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness, attained righteousness? (laughs) Well, that's for next week, isn't it? Okay, we have two testimonies here. We're going to start with the testimony of Hosea. And he's going to draw out two verses out of Hosea to prove what he's saying is true. Uh, It's kind of awkward at first, and it seems like how does this fit in with the Gentile when you read the text of Hosea? Are you still with me so far? Because in a few moments I've got a feeling you might be drifting off trying to think, (laughs) what What did you just say? I thought we were talking about the Gentiles. Well, we're going to go back to the context And then bring it into the context of what Paul has just been mentioning. Not only Jews, but Gentiles. Hosea is going to address that, but whenever it's written by Hosea, it actually is speaking about, guess who? The Jews. But Paul is going to mean not only Jews, but Gentiles. And then Isaiah is going to bring on the the Jew again. But you'll see how we're going to bring the Gentile into this. Well, he he did it right at the end of verse 24. Also from among Gentiles, as he says also in Hosea. And Paul can do this. You ever notice how he quotes Old Testament passages? And sometimes he doesn't give the whole verse, but he's applying it to what he is saying. And he's not treating the text bad. Matter of fact, it does mean whenever he says, not my people... We know when we think of that, well, that would be well the the Gentiles. If you're thinking Jewish, and those people are not my people. And so that is okay even for Hosea. It does have like a double meaning, but there is a specific meaning. And we'll get that. But then apply it to Paul, and he's he's mentioned Gentiles, so we're going to see how this is going to fit from Hosea. Uh, Paul quotes him as... Also, here's what God did. God cast them off. He rejected them. He made them a no people. That's right. And did you know as we studied 2nd Kings, we kept seeing the prophets basically saying that kind of thing. He was going to judge them severely. And so they're not going to be his people. Not my people. And so the argument here is that Paul is going to show who the vessels of mercy are. They're the elect out of the Gentiles and the elect out of the Jews. My people. My people. Okay. Hosea says this, doesn't he? I will call those who were not my people my people. And her it was not beloved, beloved. Now that's part of the text that Paul is borrowing right out of Hosea. To solidify his argument, by the way, this is an effectual call when he says, I will call those who are not my people, my people. That to me is talking about us i 'm a Gentile, I was not born jewish jewish blood i don 't have that, but i am was not a people if you go back in history i 'm not that chosen race you 're not of that chosen race unless you have some Jewish blood in your right somehow some way, but it doesn 't matter. Um, the church is made up of Jews and gentiles um, and but we've gotta we've gotta try to get back here to Hosea and try to make some sense out of that. Uh what I'm gonna do is go back to Hosea and read the verse that he is quoting, and then we'll go back to chapter one. We go to two twenty three. You have uh Hosea just before Joel, or if you can get to Daniel, the next book is Hosea. And the verse that Paul is quoting is in 23, 223. It's going to be the second half of this verse. But I'll read that whole verse. I will sow her for myself in the land. I will also have compassion on her who had not obtained compassion. Now here we go. Here's where Paul got his quote. And I will say to those who were not my people, you are my people. And they will say, you are my God. You can say, well, how could that be Jews? Because they've been his people. And so, Dennis, this is really to the Gentile, right? Well, The way that Paul applies it, yeah. The way Hosea is applying it here is that Israel had been unfaithful. God condemned Israel. God was going to judge them. But he also, in that same prophecy, says he will restore them. That's amazing. Uh, and so they'll be my people. So, to a Jewish person, this is exactly what Hosea is saying. What is Paul saying? Well, Paul is saying that, but he's saying more, because remember in verse 24 of our Romans 9, but also from among Gentiles, and he carries that thought on forward, and keep going to verse 30 now, what shall we say then that Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness attain righteousness, even the righteousness which is by faith? What are you saying, Paul? To the Jew or to the Gentile, make up your mind. Both. But I think he's really... And, and he definitely is, because the time we get to Isaiah, we know that. But Hosea, we know is saying to the Jew. I think Paul is saying, really emphasizing Gentiles here. Uh, but let's get the context of it being... First of all, he's speaking to the Jewish people. Uh, the story is this, and it's all an illustration... Uh, you have the prophet Hosea. God comes up to him, well, gets us word of uh, truth from God. It's basically, as it comes to him, said, "Hosea, I want you to take to yourself uh, a harlot as your wife. I want you to take a prostitute and you marry her." That sounds hideous. Why would a, a God who is righteous and true ever want one of his children to marry someone who is a prostitute? Would he do that today? No. He's not going to tell you that. Don't ever let somebody come up to you and say, well, I'll tell you what. My wife is going to be a prostitute because God says it's okay and I can go right to Hosea and show you that. It's another one of those cases like we had last week as Daniel presented the the witch at Endor and and what she saw You know, seeing Samuel. Sometimes there's kind of a one-time happening that God is free to do. His overall purpose and plan is for us to be unequally yoked, or to be equally yoked. Well, we know that Christians are to marry of the same kind, a Christian with a Christian. To get married to an unbeliever, it's going to be very difficult. Can God work through that? Yeah, sure can. can. We can attest to that. Many of us can. God's really gracious. I wouldn't test him, but we know that God, it is right and it's true that that's the way it's supposed to work. In this case, that's not what God is doing. He's taken a very righteous man, declared righteous because of God's grace, and here we have him saying, go go get her, and uh, I want you to have children. And there are three names we're going to get and catch a load of these names. They say a lot here. By the way, the woman eventually is going to leave Hosea. She's going to go to other lovers. What did Israel do? Was Israel married to God? Yes. What did Israel do? They went after other idols, other gods. They did what the other nations did. And that's the brunt of what Old Testament basically is. Old Testament history through the prophets and such. Uh, well, that's the story of Israel. Uh, only thing is, we will see that she will come back to him. That's what Gomer... Uh, oh, I, I'm tempted to talk about a TV show and I'm going to restrain from that. <laughs> I will say the last name, Pyle. <laughs> but in this case, Gomer is actually a female who marries Hosea. She takes off, and, and but she does have children. And uh, there are names that God says that uh, they are to name them. The first one is Jezreel. You'll see that in verse 4. Uh, Jezreel means scattered. If you have your outlines, I do have that on there. That's interesting, Uh, whenever uh, Assyria came for the Israelites, the Jews in the northern kingdom, what did the Assyrians do with the Israelites? Most of them were taken captive and were scattered all over the Gentile lands. And that's what happened. A prophecy, it said it was going to happen, it happened. So they have one child by the name of Jezreel. The second one is found in verse 6. Then she conceived uh, and again and gave birth to a daughter. And the Lord said to him, name her Lo-Ruhamah. Which means not pitied. Uh, No mercy is the idea. So there's going to be scattered people. There's going to be people of not pitied by God. He pitied them for a long time though, didn't he? He gave them mercy decade after decade, century after century He did. But finally it was going to come to the point where there was no mercy He was going to bring on judgment. They were going to be scattered, no mercy, because He says, I will have no compassion on the house of Israel that I would ever forgive them verse 7, but I'll have compassion on the house of Judah and deliver them by the Lord the God. So he's speaking to the northern kingdom here at this time uh, and will not deliver them by bow, sword, battle, horses, or horsemen. At this time he's speaking there of the uh, uh, northern Israel. Now, when she had, re, uh, in verse 8, uh, weaned lo Ruhama, she conceived and gave birth to a son and the Lord said, name him Lo-Ami. Lo means No. Remember the other one, Lo-Ruhamah? Lo is no. That's easy to figure out. L-O, no. This one, which was no mercy. Here, Lo-Ami. And what does Lo-Ami mean? Not my people. Not mine. So now what we have is that... uh, We have three names here that God has given. And they mean scattered. Not pitied. Not my people. And who is this? It's Israel. It's it's no way it is Gentiles at all in this text. Because he announces who they are. This is what they've been all the way through. So Hosea is not meaning Gentiles, even though he says not my people, and that's what Gentiles were. They weren't God's people. But as a whole was the nation... They were now not my people. So do you see they're not my people? That would be the idea. God scattered them, didn't take pity, they're not his people. And so Paul quotes this text as we look in Hosea 2:23. Um, I will say to those who are not my people, you are my people, and they will say, You are my God. But not during the time of judgment. They didn't. It was much later on. So the last part in Hosea 2.23 gives the answer. Um, And and what we look at 2.23 is we see that they are My people. That means the Israelites who were His people then were not His people... But they're going to be restored and they're going to be called what? Ami. Which means my people. So goes the story of Israel. He elects them. They disobey him, rebel for years and years and years and years. He judges them like he said he would and then he brings them back to him. His people. Now, when you look at the... um, Verse 23, even though Paul doesn't quote this first half, we will look at this because it's very interesting. I will serve uh, sow her for myself in the land. Now, we've got, again, what was that first name of the firstborn there? Jezreel. Jezreel here is the one... We know Jezreel is scattered, but if they're now God's people, what are they? In verse 23, they are sown. And what do farmers do when they go out into the fields? They would scatter the seeds. They are now scattered or sown for Himself. They are brought back into the land and sown... Are you getting this now? So, we're still speaking of Israel, but Paul is broadening this, just in case they still think they're the only ones. And we get the meaning here, they are my people, they are Ami. He now has scattered them to plant, and, or sown the seed, they now are given mercy, which would be, remember that was uh, low Ruhamah. It's not low Ruhamah. It is now Ruhamah. Mercy. And then, my people. Ami. You are my people. So do you get Hosea 2.23? Hosea gets it. He writes it. It's to the uh, to the Jew. Paul realizes it's From the Jew, but look at also what God is going to do. It's mind-blowing. He's just spoken about the vessels of mercy and some of them them would say, boy, I'm the elect. (laughs) I'm one of those, right? And he says, oh, by the way, there are Gentiles that I have chosen the same way. And See, they are declared righteous the same way that the elect of the Jews are. The same plan of salvation. One salvation, isn't there? That's incredible. You know, God did that to Israel and its ten tribes. They were scattered, but yet, did you know that there were elect amongst those people? If you remember, Elijah said, God, am I the only one? And what did God say? I have 7,000 there in in the northern kingdom who have not bowed the knee to Baal. They are His elect, His remnant. And you see, God saved them. A lot of them went on and incorporated themselves into Judah. In Judah, there are the elect. Was all of Judah saved? No, Judah's part of Israel, right? But that's all that was left when the ten tribes went. But many of the elect of the ten tribes went then to Judah and worshipped the true God in the right place. So, that uh, seems easy, and then it sounds a little bit difficult, but I believe that's what Paul is doing. He's incorporating the Gentiles in here while well, at the same time. It definitely is the Jews. And so now what he's going to do is take one more verse from Hosea. It's 1 verse 10. Here's his plan. You know what God's plan has been all along? To pick a nation out of the world, to be elect... And there would be elect people inside that nation that would be true Israel, as Paul has already spoken about. And what he would do then as the nation of Israel would rebel, God's people would follow him even in that nation that was so wicked and he says, I'm going to judge, and he finally does. And he doesn't leave it at that. He comes back and restores them. He did it at the time after, uh, in, in the Old Testament time period, and they came back and they built a temple and this applied to the Ju- Judeans and also the one of the, the Tim tribes, they, they get a temple. It wasn't like it was before, but they were restored. And uh, then uh, that temple is built upon and uh, you have uh, the time of Jesus and you have a temple already built and it was one of the wonders of the world. It was tremendous and the Gentiles had a little part to play on that. And um, Anyway, King Herod actually made that place quite a, a beautiful place with all the gold and such. But uh, Jesus told the disciples that God would destroy that temple and not one stone would be left upon another. In Matthew 24, Luke 21, Uh, We get that in uh, Luke also. And and so what we have is God again judging them and 70 A.D. happened and He did it. And you say, okay, then that was it. That's finally it. God is sick and tired of them and He's not going to put up with them any longer and most people write Israel off. But... God is a God of election. God is a sovereign God. And when you go through Romans 9, 10, and by the time we get to Romans 11, Paul is saying that he is going to restore Israel. There's going to be Jews who will believe in the Messiah. And he doesn't forget about nations. You'll see nations in the very future, the very future kingdom, uh, eternal state. Nations are there. What's wrong with nations? Well, without God, they're nothing. God intended there to be nations. There's nothing wrong with it. He made it to be that way. He made borders. He made nations. He made all, everything, and nations were important to Him. The nations will come up to worship Me, He says. And that means there's going to be people from every tribe and tongue all over the world. When you see that God so loved the world, that's what he's speaking. There's going to be people from every nation, tribe, tongue, the world. It's not going to save the world, but people are taken from all over the world out of that evil system. That is the idea of the word world. And there are many ideas we can go with that. But we need to go back to Jose. Did we do 110 yet? Did I read that? Okay, I'm sorry. Mom, this is why I go too long, folks. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, got a couple dollars. I'll get to you. <laughs> sorry. Okay. Something so serious. Sometimes you have to have just a minute break. Okay, here we come. Okay, number 10, verse 10, 110 Hosea. This is exactly, well, well, basically what Paul is quoting. Yet the number of the sons of Israel be like the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered. Did that sound familiar? Over and over. And so that started with Abraham, God's promise. He kept His promise. And in the, in the place where it is said to them, wherever they're at, He's going to speak to them. You are not my people. It will be said to them, You are the sons of the living God. Now, we know that applies to Israel. But are we looking at Israel here as mentioned in verse 24 and as it links up with where we're at? You're my people. In verse 26, going back to Romans 9, and it shall be in the place where it was said to them, you are not my people, That's where it was said, you're not my people. There they shall be called sons of the living God. That's remarkable. That's outstanding. Because we know he says that to the Jews. We've already elaborated on that. So don't don't have anybody uh, accusing me of saying I'm taking this all out of context and I'm eliminating... Israel altogether. There's time for them, and we'll get back to that the next verse, Isaiah, definitely. But I am trying to go forth with this, which is difficult because many of the people that I borrow from say they don't even mention the Gentiles in this text at all, and I think that uh, they're mistreating this text here as Paul meant. of course, that's my interpretation, but I do have people to go along with that. And uh, James Montgomery Boyce, I borrowed from on that kind of thought. Also, uh, Robert Haldane, and there are there are others. Uh, what were and it's not anything to divide over at all. It's it's not a, a huge deal. I just want to get the Gentiles in here. Um... You're my people. You're sons of the living God. It is among the Gentiles that people will be called to faith. started with the Jews. They will be called sons of the living God. Any Jew that was uh, saved would be the same thing. The sons of the living God. Why did he say living God? If you're a Gentile, what kind of God do you have? You have a dead God. You have pagan idolatry. They made up the gods. The gods came from the demons. And there are no gods at all. They don't even exist. There's only one God. One God. Isaiah says there's only one God. There's no other gods. Had no other gods before me. It says that in the Ten Commandments because there are no other gods. So people will be called to faith out of the Gentiles just like people will be called to faith out of the Jews. Which is what he's been hammering on all the way through Romans 9. And now he stays with that same thought and introduces us. Praise God. Second, or first Peter chapter 2, verse 10. He used this quote. You know verse 9. You chosen race, royal priesthood, a holy nation of people for God's own possessions that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who has called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Here we go, verse 10. Peter quotes this right out of our Hosea, or Romans, but I think he's borrowing from Hosea here. For you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Do you see those words? Mercy. People of God, right? Uh, You were scattered. Uh, Peter often mentions that to people who are scattered all over the world. That's how he, uh, I think, uh, introduced that. He called them aliens scattered throughout Pontius, Galatia, and and so on and so forth. In the first verse of this book, uh, I'm amazed that Peter would say this. What he's saying is that you once were not a people. He can speak to the Gentile. He could actually even speak to the Jew here. But who do you think? I, I, I really believe he's speaking to Gentiles for the most part here and Jews who had become Christians. And he says you're a chosen race. There's only one race of mankind anyway, but a chosen race is Jews and Gentiles together in the body of Christ. Believers. A royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. Wow. Uh, I think, as he says, sons of a living God, God comes to life to those people who are dead. The Jews that are scattered out in the Gentile nations... Can he pick and choose some of those? Yeah. Can he go and pick and choose some of the Gentiles there? And uh, yes, he does. You know what? Israel as a whole rejected the Messiah. And his election of the Gentiles really should not have taken anybody's surprise because he has mentioned that. It was prophesied in the Old Testament All throughout the Old Testament, the only way that God says is because God chose to be gracious to certain ones. Others, He left to themselves. That's what He did. He left them in the position that they so desire. They love to be that. Gentiles were not a people. When the Jews were cast off for a time, they were not a people. They did not have a special relationship with God. They didn't have the love of God. They didn't have the mercy of God. They knew not God. They were foreigners to the covenant. The Israelites were foreigners to the covenant. They were foreigners to the very word of God. And all the advantages that the Jew had, and Paul explained that in Romans 9 earlier, that the Jews were people of great benefits, and the Gentile was not. Well, that's the testimony of Hosea. By the way, before we go into the next one, we're all saved by grace alone, right? And that's really what Paul is trying to say throughout all the book of Romans. That you're justified by faith through grace. And grace alone. Jews, the only way that you came to God, it was because you were so high and mighty and obedient to God. God, God gave you grace. And we know that the Gentiles, the only way they could have come to God was through grace. We're going to look at Ephesians 2, 12 for a moment here. And I really need to move on. But this reminds us, and this really should take place in giving us a little insight on how we apply this today. Verse 11 Therefore, when you have therefore, it's because of this doctrine. Remember this. Always remember this, folks. We don't know how good we really got it. Because look at this that formerly you, the Gentiles, in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, the Jews, which is performed in the flesh by human hands, remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise. And look at this. Having no hope and without God in the world. And if God would have continued that with us being born here in America, we would have been considered Gentiles. There are some Jews here in America, I know, but as a whole, not a whole lot. We would have all been in the same position that they were that Paul wrote to at that time. So we can identify with this but now, in Christ Jesus, you who formerly were far off, and that's all of us, we were far off, dead in our sins and trespasses, as he has said earlier here in Rome, Ephesians 2, have been brought near, we didn't bring ourselves there, we were brought near by the blood of Christ For he himself is our peace who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh the enmity, which is the law of commandments contained in the ordinances so that in himself he might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace. And he talks about reconciliation. Oh, what a text that is. So, There we have it, backing it up. Now that's how you can apply us Gentiles into this same kind of promise that was promised to Abraham who was once a Gentile himself because there were no Jews and everybody was a Gentile. And he's the progenitor of the race. And by the promise that was given to him, the promise, and next week we get into the faith aspect of this. When we get into the end of Romans nine, is we'll wrap up nine. We'll get into that. Okay, um, we were foreigners to the covenant, folks. Regardless, Jew or Gentile, we didn't we didn't know the covenant until He came into our lives. Now we go into the testimony of Isaiah. Are you ready? Go back to Romans. Romans 9, and it's a lot of what we have just read. And so therefore, we won't spend as much time on this section as we did in Hosea because it's saying the same thing, but I think this time it's definitely applying it specifically to the Jew. You can say Gentile if you like, but here we go. Isaiah cries out concerning Israel through the number of the sons of Israel, though the some. though the number of the sons of Israel be like the sand of the sea it is the remnant that will be saved I want you to catch that if you have to underline it there's one word there it's remnant for the Lord will execute his word on the earth thoroughly and quickly and just as Isaiah foretold unless the Lord of Sabaoth had left to us a posterity we would have become like Sodom and and would have resembled Gomorrah. All right, Paul uses two quotes. He used two quotes from Hosea, and he's into equality and equity. As those words should be termed today, they are, boy, the word equity and such, uh, boy, has that taken on a new meaning today in our world. The whole, I don't know, dictionary is being changed, just like history has been changed. Right before our eyes, well, anyway, he uses two verses just like he did out of Hosea. Um, He says, you know, we've already been told, you know, Gentiles are included, and somehow Jews are included. And he supports them from Isaiah 10 and Isaiah 1. Isaiah 10, 22 and 23, just to see, we'll go back, and we know that... Paul quotes, it's not always word for word, exactly the way that he is penned it in Romans 9. We're going to Isaiah 10, and we will definitely get the meaning of that. 10, 22, 23. For through your people... Can I say though? For though your people, O Israel, may be like the sand of the sea... Only a remnant within them will return. Oh, Isaiah said that? Are you serious? I thought all Israel was going to be saved. And he says, don't you know, Isaiah says, even though the number of Israel is like the sand of the sea, only a remnant will return. A destruction is determined, overflowing with Righteousness. For a complete destruction, one that is decreed the Lord God of hosts will execute in the midst of the whole land. Isaiah said it. He said what Hosea said. And he says it here in chapter 10, a remnant. What's a remnant? Uh, It's not the whole thing. It's a little bitty piece. It's a piece. It's a small piece. And you ever heard of remnants that come from a rug? Maybe you have a small little room that you just want to take a remnant out of a carpet that has already been cut. So you take that. It's a lot cheaper. It's a great deal. So all I need is a remnant. Just a little bit of it is all I need. And so remnant is that idea. Now Isaiah is the prophet here. Uh, He began uh, during the time of Uzziah. Uzziah died. Uh, Isaiah was actually in uh, at the temple and he saw the holiness of God. He prophesied for about 48 years and he cried out to the people. He cried out. And he says, only a small piece is going to be saved. Over and over and over and over and over and over and over Isaiah says it. Hosea says it. All the prophets say it. There's a remnant. There's a remnant. Okay, you say, Dennis, what do you mean? I see it here in Isaiah. Isaiah. If you were a Jew, you'd be questioning this. They missed it. They missed the Messiah. They missed everything. Look at this. Look at this. We're going to look at a few of them. We're going to go real quick. Somehow we're going to go quick. Go to 1 Kings. 1 Kings is where we've been studying on Tuesday night. Uh, Well, 2 Kings lately, but we did 1 Kings. 1 Kings chapter 19, 18. And here you have Elijah. Elijah's really feeling down. And uh, he thinks he's the only one, right? It's that text. So he departed from there and found that Elisha, the son of Shaphat, well, uh, oh, what did I say? 1918, right? Yeah, what? two more heads. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. He says, I will leave 7,000 in Israel. That's a little bit. They had a lot more than 7,000. Okay, moving on. Go to Second Kings chapter 19. And this ought to be familiar to the Tuesday night study right here because we just finished this a couple of weeks ago or so. Verse 30 and 31. It'll be familiar. The surviving remnant of the house of Judah will again take root downward and bear fruit upward. He's going to judge them. But what's he saying here? There's going to be a surviving remnant. For out of Jerusalem will go forth a remnant and out of Mount Zion, survivors, the zeal of the Lord, will perform this. Right? Okay. Romans 11.5 uh, says this. In the same way then, there has also come to be at the present time a remnant according to God's gracious choice. A remnant that is chosen by God, elected by God. I don't have time to do all of these, but go, to, but go back to Isaiah. Isaiah 11.11, 11, and we're getting ready to uh, complete this. Isaiah 11.11, 11, and you will not believe how many times God uses remnant. How could the Jews ever debate this election? Why would they be against election when God says there's only been a remnant? And it's my choice. Here we go. Isaiah 11:11. 11, 11, that it will happen on that day that the Lord will again recover the second time with His hand the remnant of His people who will remain from Assyria, Egypt, Pathros, Cush, Elam, Shinar, Hamath, from the islands of the sea everywhere, and He'll bring them back. A remnant of Israel, of the nation of Israel. We know there's a remnant of, of, of the Gentiles. Who's he speaking to? Well, the, the context of Romans here, context in Isaiah, is speaking of Judah, speaking of uh, Israel, uh, about the, the branch, the Messiah and such. Uh, Isaiah 11:16. that's easy. And there will be a highway from Assyria for the remnant of his people who will be left. Just as there was for Israel in the day when they came up out of the land of Egypt. Uh, we keep going about this remnant. Look in chapter 28, verse 5. Isaiah 28, verse 5. Remnant. In that day, the Lord of hosts will become a beautiful crown and a glorious diadem to the remnant of His people. Uh, we have Jeremiah. Jeremiah 23.3. It's the very next prophet over. 23.3 of Jeremiah. then I myself will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I have driven them and bring them back to their pasture and they will be fruitful and multiply. You like that? Chapter 31, verse 7. This is uh, a time for joy here. Uh, 31.7. For thus says the Lord, sing aloud with gladness for Jacob and shout uh, among the chief of the nations. Proclaim, give praise and say, O Lord, save your people. Hosanna, the remnant of Israel. Go to chapter 50, verse 20. The remnant is everywhere. In those days, and at that time, declares the Lord, search will be made for the iniquity of Israel, but there will be none, and for the sins of Judah, but they will not be found, for I will pardon those whom I leave as a remnant. There are going to be many that are going to be judged, judged for eternity, but the elect ones, he's going to pardon, and they're going, they are the remnant, they're the vessels of mercy. Micah 2.12, Zephaniah 1.4, Zephaniah 2.7. That goes right along with our 2 Kings study. Zechariah 8.6, 11, and 12. I could go and read all of those. Read them later. It's remnant, remnant. I've given you, I think, plenty, more than, more than a couple, right? Uh, the Lord will execute his word upon the earth, and he's going to do it very decisively. That was said by the prophets. Look at verse 28. The Lord will execute His word on the earth thoroughly and quickly. Is there any reason to elaborate on that? We've seen that, right? We know that. And so there will be destruction. There will be scattering. It will be complete. There will be no appeal. There will be no escape. It will be a thorough judgment. And uh, now we get to the very uh, last part. Unless the Lord of Sabaoth had left to us a posterity, we would have come like Sodom, resembled uh, Gomorrah. Uh, what's he saying here? He's changing the remnant now to seed. If we go back to Isaiah nine, and we did this earlier, we read this earlier, and he is speaking of the same thing. Isaiah nine: Unless the Lord of hosts had left us a few survivors, what word could you use there and be okay with it? Remnant. He left us a few survivors. We would be like Sodom. We'd be like Gomorrah. If He didn't leave, if He didn't elect some, this is what it's saying. If He didn't elect some, then it'll all be like Sodom and Gomorrah. What's that mean? Are they there today? Is there, are those two cities there? Not at not They're gone. You don't even know where they're at. Sodom and Gomorrah. The Lord of Sebioth, that means the Lord of hosts, Lord of many, Lord of the hosts, the stars, the sun, the moons, the whole universe, it's all over. uh, The Lord of the hosts has chosen a seed uh, out of His posterity. They've been scattered and, and, and brought back. You know what? Haldane said this. Except for election. If it weren't for election, not one of the nation of Israel would have been saved you guys agree? That's what Paul is saying. Paul Dean is just wrapping this up for us to package up now. Thus, the doctrine of election, far from being harsh or cruel, like the world likes to take that, like the Israelite would take that, oh, they hate that kind of election if it's individuals. We're all going in. They hated it. Remember, they tried to kill Jesus. But the church today, as a whole, that's called the church... Hates this doctrine. And the very words that we're reading today, they would rather tear it out of their book and just forget about it because it causes too much trouble and we are going to ignore that and move on. They will go all the way from chapter 8, maybe, to chapter 12 and skip 9, 10, 11 because of such a passage that we're dealing with. They hate election. The human mind naturally hates election. And here we have it. Haldane says, except for election, not one of the nation of Israel would have been saved. Thus the doctrinal uh, of election, very far from being harsh or cruel, as many understand it, we see here a glorious demonstration of goodness and love. Had it not been for this election through which God had been of the prepared vessels of mercy unto glory neither Jew nor Gentile, nobody would have escaped. And they would have remained vessels of wrath prepared or suited for destruction. All the world would have perished had it not been for election that's what Paul has been saying all along in Romans 9 especially starting at verse 6 and then using the example of Jacob versus Esau and the example uh, Isaac and Ishmael of course how he had mercy on Moses a murderer who was a murderer just like Pharaoh there wasn't any difference they were both sinners but God had his hand on Moses He did not fail him. He hardened him. So he draws from Hosea. He draws from Isaiah. He has the proof. The plan is just put forth. And here's the plan of God, that not all of Israel would be saved. And not all Gentiles would be saved. The Jews would enter into a time of unbelief. They'd be scattered, they would not be pitied, and they would not be the people of God like they were, and then they would become the people of God, a small remnant. Uh, why did the Jews reject? Well, they rejected God's plan. God's plan is that the only reason that any believe is because the Lord of Sabio, by His grace, chose to leave a seed rather than having them all destroyed. That's the idea. They all should be destroyed. Is there anybody here that would say, no, there should be some that shouldn't have, shouldn't have been destroyed. No, we all deserve it. And even as righteous as we may think we are. It's all grace. Well, Lord Sabeoth chose to leave a seed Paul makes his point. He's just given a scripture. It's not because I'm just on a hobby horse and I just love to talk about it. Well, I do love to talk about it, and maybe it is my hobby horse. But I like all the doctrines of Scripture. I like the whole counsel of God. We just happen to be in Romans nine at this time, and uh, I rather like it. (laughs) And I got a feeling you guys do too. God is sovereign in the way He rescues sinners. And He rescues them out of the wrath that's mentioned in verse 22. And He has the ones that are called that are mentioned in verse 24 as we started this today. And we see that not only Jew, but also from the Gentiles. And God rules in this whole idea of salvation. And what a trembling that it should bring to us. Because it should bring a thankfulness to our hearts. It should bring humility. We have nothing to brag about at all. I can't ever go around saying I chose God. Because I didn't. He chose me. Why do I love Him? He loved me first. God's call penetrated our resistance. Because we are an enmity and we hated Him. We resisted everything He brought forth. And then one day He came into us and He changed us completely. A new man. And now we freely trust Him. We freely love Him. He looked upon our sinful deadness. And He said, Live! And we lived. Let's pray. Father, great God, we have everything to be thankful about. We are absolutely humbled and knocked down to our knees, Lord, and realizing you brought us from absolutely nothing and worse than nothing, lower than the dirt, and brought us into a position that is that can be no higher, a child of the living God. Lord, thank you for making us children of the living God. You are alive and you made us alive. You've always been alive. We were dead and you made us alive. All glory to you, the gracious almighty (coughs) God. In Jesus' name, amen.